Good morning, everyone. Um, so, yeah, I just want to get straight into this. I mean, no faffing, really. This is uh, this good stuff that we're going to be looking at this morning. We're, we're continuing our series called God's Big Plans, uh, which is based in the first half, really, of Ephesians chapter 1. And um, just as a, a, apologies to anyone who's visiting, but um, a little test for those of you who've been here for the last five or so weeks. What have we covered so far in this series? But it's great, I'm loving it. Good, thank you. Beth. She said eight verses. Um, I think the implication being that we're going quite slowly. It's because it's so rich. Yeah. Okay, so yes, we've covered eight verses. Um, anything about the content of those um, eight verses? Redemption, chosen, forgiveness, adoption, holiness, redeemed, grace, mercy, yeah, why not, yeah, that's covered in much more detail in chapter 2, but there's headlines of it, definitely, anything else, predestination, yeah, Prizes for the longest word there, Mr. Morse. Yeah. I mean, it's been good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I am Margaret, yes. Yeah. But it's uh, a losing battle. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been full, full of God's blessings to us. And the whole, the, all of this flows out of the fact that these are... These are from our God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then all those things that we've just said flow. And um, as we've already said a number of times, this from verse 3 to verse 14, one long sentence in the original. And I can just imagine Paul in his prison chained up between these guards, just this flow of praise coming out. And his, his amenuensis, his, his, uh, his writer is there kind of trying to get it all down on his papyrus, you know. But as I've prepared a couple of these talks, and as I've sat and listened to the others, and as I've spent a couple of months really in these eight or so verses... I've been challenged about whether I'm really, and I mean really, pursuing the fullness of these spiritual blessings. Do I really know what it means to live in the good of all of this stuff? Or are they just nice words that I can trot out and say, yeah, I'm redeemed. Yeah, I'm forgiven. (laughs) So, that's where we'll start today. And I'm going to pray for us, because I think we need it. Yeah, if we're, going to, if we're going to walk into the fullness and live in the fullness of all of this, we need to ask for his help, and he will give, up, give it to us. So, Father, we come to you. We thank you that you love us. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. Oh, how you love us. We could sing that for the rest of eternity, and we would not plumb the depths of the fact that you love us so much. And as we come to your word now, would you open it up afresh to us? As we look at this issue, this this truth of us being sealed by the Holy Spirit, 
Would you mark us indelibly with your presence? And would you change our lives this morning as we encounter your truth afresh? Amen. Before we read the passage, I feel like I just need to give a little bit of an explanation. This might appear a little bit technical, but if we don't do it now, then I'll have to do it later. So let's do it now. And um, as we've looked through all these first few verses, they've all been related to us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He chose us before the foundation of the earth, etc., etc. In him, we are redeemed. Uh, through his blood. That's what Paul's saying. But let me tell you about um, the holiday which I had with my family in half term just gone. So uh, we went away with my mum and my youngest brother and his family to North Wales. It was beautiful. As you imagine in North Wales, glorious sunshine, 30 odd degrees. Um, yeah, and then we stepped outside. But um, yeah, but it was a, it was a good week. And um, and. One day, one evening, we cooked a meal for everyone. That's as much as you're hearing about my holiday. And the reason why is because in those couple of sentences, I've used the word we in two different ways. So I said we went on holiday, and that we includes my wife Becky, me, and our two sons Joseph and Ben. But I also said we cooked a meal for everyone else. And that we doesn't include the boys. That was, I mean, it barely included me, to be fair. But, um, but, but Beck and I cooked for everyone. And both of those sentences are allowable. And they, they both make sense. But that one word is used in two slightly different ways. And as we read these few verses, there's a change in the way Paul uses the word we. So we need to look out for it. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through to 14. And the words will appear on the screen. So verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. Verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, after listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Did you notice it? Did you notice the use of the word we? So it started off in verse 7, and he's using we in that universal sense. We, all of us, all believers. But when we get into verse 12, he says, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ. That we refers to Jews. 
who have come to believe, who are now Christians. Because Paul is writing here to a church in Ephesus that is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles. And so he says in verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ, that is those who were Jews, and then in verse 13 it says, in him you also. Well, that's referring to the Gentiles who now believe. So there's this thing for the Jews, we who were the first to believe, or first to hope, and you also Gentiles are now part of that. And you might think it's subtle and technical, but it's important. It's really important, actually. And I think it's sparked by this overflow which Paul is giving, and he talks about inheritance in verse 11. We have obtained an inheritance, and I think that's triggered in his mind the fact that actually the inheritance for those who were Jews and the inheritance for those who were Gentiles and are now saved, the inheriting of the inheritance has worked differently. And we'll see this more when later in the year, coming soon, we'll look at chapter 2 of Ephesians. We will get there, I promise. But it says in verse 12 that this is talking to the Gentiles. You were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's what the Gentiles were like. The Jews, that wasn't true for them. They were God's chosen people. They did have the promise. They did have an inheritance that was coming to them because they were God's chosen people. And so here, as we start to look at these few verses, we've got to realise that he's talking in two different levels. He's talking about these Jews who have this inheritance and now you also, Gentiles, can come in and have the inheritance too. And the way... That works. Well, first of all, the inheritance, he explains in verse 14, and we'll look at this later, but the redemption of God's own possession, that's the inheritance, is that we get to be God's own possession. But the reason it's important is because this whole thing, this whole you also can now be part of it, is because of the Spirit. It's because of the Holy Spirit of promise. And so I have to set that up Because that gives a context now as for why Paul goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit. And this applies to both Jews and Gentiles because it applies to the church. And he's back into universal blessings. I hope that makes sense. So in these few verses, Paul describes the Holy Spirit with three different words. The promised Holy Spirit, seal, he describes him as, and a pledge. And remember that all of these blessings are spiritual blessings. So that means they're blessings of the Spirit that come to us through the work of God the Father and the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And now, the work of God the Holy Spirit. Love the way that the Trinity's in there. I'm not going to try and explain it now. If you want to know more, come to Bible Bible school in the autumn and Joe Williams will explain it to you. Okay, Joe. (laughs) So let's look at these in turn then. So first of all, the Holy Spirit as promise. So verse 13, you were sealed in him, in Jesus, with the promised Holy Spirit. Why does Paul describe the Holy Spirit as the promised Holy Spirit? Well, to understand that, we've got to read our Old Testament. That's where the promises of God are laid out that Paul is now standing on. 
So when we go back in the Old Testament, we notice that the Holy Spirit generally works in specific people at specific times for specific tasks. That's what he does. So he anoints specific individuals, specific times for specific tasks. But at the same time, there is through the prophetic writings an indication that the Holy Spirit is going to be more generally available at some point in the future. So, and these verses will appear on the screen. If we look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26 and 27 read like this. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe my ordinances. It's good, isn't it? Okay. It is good because it means that all the stuff that Rob talked about last week about the law is now dealt with and we're able to live a holy and blameless life because of the life of the Spirit within us. Because that law is written on our hearts rather than being an external thing. Listen to the talk from last week, okay? Um, So the Spirit in us, the promised Holy Spirit would come. But then we read Joel chapter 2. And verses 28 and 29 say this, It will come about after this that I will pour out my Spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. There's going to be this Time to come, says Joel, when the Holy Spirit, instead of just being available for one or two individuals for a short period of time, for a little task, or big task, instead, the Holy Spirit will be poured out indiscriminately on everyone, irrespective of gender, irrespective of social standing, irrespective of race, irrespective of ethnicity. That's pretty good. And so when Paul writes, you were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit, this is what he's referring to. The fact that this Holy Spirit would be poured out. In Galatians, which is the book just before Ephesians, chapter 3, Paul writes this very explicitly, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's amazing what Paul does. Just in a couple of sentences, he deals with the law, with grace, with the coming Holy Spirit, with the blessings of Abraham, and he says that's all for you. That's what we live in the good of because we live post-Pentecost. So Pentecost, that pouring out of the Spirit that happened 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead, the Holy Spirit came and was poured out. The promised Holy Spirit. And Peter in his sermon reads those very verses or quotes those very verses from Joel. And what it means is that Today we stand here on the edge of one of the greatest mysteries 
ever. I know we've just mentioned the Trinity, but this is another one. That God had his chosen people, his treasured possession, and then through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, he allows anyone in the whole of the world to be incorporated into that promised people. And that includes you and that includes me. And one of the key themes through the rest of the book of Ephesians is how this can be the case. How can it be that Jews and Gentiles can be reconciled in Christ? How can it be that the Holy Spirit brings about unity between these two groups? But for now, we can't cover that. We just have to accept that we were sealed in him with the promised Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit was promised and has now arrived. It's promised in ages past and now we're able to live in the reality of it, both for Jews and for Gentiles. So that's the first word that Paul uses to describe the Holy Spirit is the promised Holy Spirit. The second word or picture he uses is the seal. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's really helpful because he tells us when that happened. Because in recent decades, we've got ourselves in a bit of a fix over this. But it's very clear here. So, in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. So, when you heard the truth, you responded to it, you believed, you were sealed in the Spirit. At that moment, you were sealed. The Holy Spirit is inside you. Done deal. New creation. New heart we just read about. Yes, subsequently, we continue being filled in the Spirit. And we taught on that at the end of January. So do go and listen to that, because that's the other side of the coin, if you like. But this sealing is talking about what happens when we come to faith. And the context of... The church in Ephesus is quite important here, and I'd encourage you to go and read Acts 19, because Paul rocks up in Ephesus, he finds some people who say they're believers, and he says, so you've heard about the Spirit, and they say, what Spirit? And so the reason I think that he's saying here, actually you were sealed in the Spirit when you believed, is going back to that. That's the foundations of it. They weren't living in all the fullness and reality of that, but they were sealed with the Spirit. But this ceiling is a really, really rich picture. And I'm just going to pick out a few aspects of it and try and get us to think about what that means for us. So firstly, ceiling indicates ownership and belonging. And uh, cattle, livestock, slaves, if you've got any of those, um, then all of them will be sealed with a mark of possession. That was the context here that Paul was writing into showed that they belonged to the person who owned them. There's a picture of a sheep up here. Oh. Um, there's a picture of a sheep going to be up here in a minute. And uh, you'll see it's got a, a blue tag on it. And that's uh, maybe, maybe Ignite Child 3 has as well. I think I might know him. Um, so sheep I met him the other week and he's got a blue tag on him that's so that the farmer knows which ones belong to him and so they get tagged marked 
Not branded, because, you know, that used to happen. It's not a thing that's left to chance. That sheep has a blue mark. And he didn't get that blue mark on the basis of his parents. It wasn't that his parents were both blue mark sheep, and so he came out with a blue mark on him. No, after he's born, the farmer makes a deliberate choice to mark him blue and say, that one is mine. The lamb, yes, it's born in the right field, but it still needs to be brought into the flock with a blue mark. And so you being sealed in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is not an accident of your birth. It's not that you were born into the right family, or nation, or location. And some of you need to hear that this morning. Some of you need to hear that God has sealed you. He has taken you, and he has marked you, and said, this one belongs to me. Deliberate mark of God leaving nothing to chance. And so the seal is a mark of ownership or belonging. And it means as well that the price is paid in full. To own something, you usually have to pay money for it. There's a great passage in Jeremiah 32. I'm probably going to ask you to look at it in your life groups later today, uh, later this week, where there's a whole um, picture of Jeremiah buying a field and it all gets sealed and signed. There's so many parallels with our, with our experience of, of being sealed in God. But if something is sealed, it means that no one else has right of ownership. That sheep can't belong to any other farmer. It belongs to the farmer with the blue paint. Down the road is the farmer with the green paint. He's got his sheep, but that one doesn't belong to him. It means, once you're sealed, that nothing else and no one else can touch you. And in shops, often kind of in furniture shops or maybe art galleries, I say often, I've been looking for the last few weeks for this example, I can't, so you've got an internet picture, I'm afraid. But um, you see sold marks on things, yeah? So you're looking at all these pictures in the gallery or whatever, as if I ever do that, and... Sold. You're like, oh, I can't buy that. Shame. But marked. Paid in full. It's going somewhere else. So even though it's there, you can't touch it. Doesn't belong to you. Belongs to someone else. Someone else has the rights of ownership over that item. Another example might be, and this isn't in an ownership sense, but in a belonging or commitment sense, is in marriage. Many people who are married wear wedding rings to show that actually they belong to someone else. They're committed to someone else. The ring is a symbol of that. So sealing is about ownership, it's about belonging, and it's about this thing where, where Paul says, the redemption of God's own possession. God possesses the church. It's his. Why? Because he paid the price for it. 
Becky's talk from a couple of weeks ago about being redeemed, that great cost that was paid. We now belong to him. We're part of his story because the price is paid in full. And being sealed is the sign of that. So being sealed indicates ownership or belonging, but it also indicates protection or safety or security. We're about to have some work done in our house, and uh, the chap came round the other day and uh, was describing what would happen. And um, he basically said, yes, so uh, there'll be quite a lot of dust. And uh, he said, but don't worry, because the other doors to the other rooms will put masking tape around, and that will stop all the dust going through. what he said we've got good builders they've got really really great masking tape I'll fill you in next week Um, anyway that's what he said and I believe him and it works for this sermon so because it's going to see it's going to protect the things that are on the other side of the door that's the idea Let's try this one then. Biohazard suits. You see these around, yeah? Hopefully not too often. And uh, I don't know what the joke is here. Um, But if there's infectious diseases around, this actually came from a news story about the the kind of nerve agents that were used in Salisbury. And um, but there's protection. They're sealed into their suits so they can deal with stuff, and that nasty stuff can't touch them can't get through. They're sealed. They're protected. They're they're safe. We are sealed in him, in Jesus. In that phrase, in Christ, in him, comes through so many times, double figures in these few verses. It's a recurring theme of the passage, and it means that when we get sealed into him, we are safe. We are protected. We are secure. It's like we're in the midst of this biohazard suit and nothing can get us because we're in him. The ceiling also indicates value. When you go to the post office and post a parcel, they ask you two questions. Do you want it signed for? And what's the value of the contents? Why? Why do they do that? Well, they do it because it's only worth paying for the extra services if the thing that you're sending is valuable. And so they want to check. They want to check what's in this parcel. Do we need to look after it more than, you know, a Christmas card or something? And sealing, sealing that up making sure that it's then signed for on delivery, and I could sing sing Stevie Wonder, but I won't, is an indication that there is value in the package. And sealing things is something we do to all sorts of different material things. So you walk into a jeweler's, and all the things are locked away in cases. And if you want to try on a watch or a necklace or something, 
then you have to ask for someone to come and unseal it so that you can then have a look at it. And if you're lucky, touch it. Because it's valuable. And so we lock it away. We take extra special care about it. That happens only, though, with kind of high-ticket, expensive sorts of items, valuable things. So in your local supermarket, you don't go in and find that the apples are in a locked cage. You have to say, excuse me, could you release the Brayburns for me? (laughs) It doesn't work like that. It's only the things that are of value, real value, that have the security tags on or are locked away. And so what does that mean for us if we're sealed in the Holy Spirit? Well, it means that if God has gone to the trouble of sealing you, then you must be of value to him. That's what it means. Some of you need to think on that. Being sealed in him means that you are of value to your heavenly father. Because if you weren't, he wouldn't bother sealing you. You'd be like a Braeburn. So sealing indicates ownership or belonging. It indicates protection or security. Indicates value. And it indicates authenticity as well. A seal, you see, indicates that an item is genuine. I wrote to my MP recently and uh, got the letter here. Comes in a, if you've ever received one of these, comes with a house of commons at the top. And then when you open it, very thick paper. And if you rub the little portcullis thing, it's like raised off, you know, I mean, it's proper... This is the real deal. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? When you get a letter for your MP or something more important, you want to know that it's sealed, that it's come from the right place. It shows that it's the genuine article. And so you can then have confidence in what he's written to me. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you can. I might not agree, but. And paper, you know, watermarks on paper showing it's real or the kind of the the insignia on the back of jewellery or whatever where it it says that this is the real deal. Um, On my hunt for sold furniture um, yesterday, I came across a piece of furniture which had a, a, a sticker on the back which said it was the work of a genuine craftsman and had a, had a stamp on it, a seal on it. So hang on then. If God seals us, what does that mean? It means that we're the real deal. We're the genuine article. We are, because his seal is on us. And if it's his seal, it's the seal of the one who's sealing it that puts the value on it. And he's saying, actually, this one belongs to me. This one has value. This is the real thing. I think that's pretty amazing. So the Holy Spirit, 
described as the Holy Spirit of promise. We're then sealed in the Holy Spirit. And the third thing that Paul writes is that it's the pledge. The Holy Spirit is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The NIV says a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. I like that. A deposit that guarantees our inheritance. ESV, slightly weaker, just a guarantee of our inheritance. But this idea of a down payment, a deposit, or an earnest in the kind of older times. But you know how deposits work. So going back to this work that I said we're having doing starting tomorrow, it's a new kitchen. So we paid a deposit and they come with masking tape. That's how good, I mean. (laughs) We've paid deposit on a new kitchen. That means that we have paid good money and in return, what will happen is tomorrow morning, early, they will come and start to rip out the old kitchen. That's what my money's paid for. And when that happens, that will be a sign that the deposit is working. If it doesn't happen, I will be on the phone. (laughs) But let's assume it happens. It will all be ripped out. And then that in itself will be a sign that in due course we will receive our inheritance. A working, functioning kitchen in a few weeks' time. Dust-free house all the way through. (laughs) But the deposit does that. The deposit, it says, we're serious about this. And so I'm giving you some money in order that you then follow through on what you say you'll do. The deposit is a sign of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit then, it says, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who is given as a pledge of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a sign that we will share in the inheritance of heaven. An eternal inheritance. An inheritance which we share with Christ because we will be co-heirs with him. For eternity. It's, a, it's an inheritance of infinite blessing. Infinite value. Perfect satisfaction in God. I inherited something a few weeks ago. I wasn't going to say this, but I brought it just in case I decided to. Um, so, a few weeks ago, my mum was sorting through some of my dad's papers. And um, turns out that he'd been holding on to something which I should have inherited from my grandfather about 30 years ago. And it's about eight of these. One pound notes. Remember them? Totally worthless now. This is not like the inheritance that we get here. Which basically, it's not worth anything. It's an inheritance. It's a nice memory of the fact that my grandpa used to put notes in envelopes for his grandchildren, but isn't worth anything. This inheritance here, the Holy Spirit as a pledge, is a sign that we will receive something far, far greater. It's a deposit now which guarantees future reward. And I'd like to ask you, what percentage down payment would you like on your inheritance? What would you like, 5%? 10%? 
Just a little bit. Leave most of it for heaven. 90%? You can't have all of it. Or can you? I mean, the thing is, since it's an infinite inheritance, even if you only take 5%, that's still infinite. There is so, so, so much more that comes through this deposit of the Holy Spirit in us. So much more that can be opened up to us. So much more that we can walk into. We bandy this phrase around about the already and the not yet. Yeah? Already we've got this, but not yet for that. But I don't know about you. I wonder whether too often we allow the not yet to snuff out the potential of the already. Too quick to place aspects of fulfillment way into the future when we get to heaven because we don't quite know what they look like here. When actually there is more available to us here. And I think this comes to our experience of the Spirit and I find myself with an Old Testament mindset of maybe I need the Holy Spirit for this task today. Whereas actually he is poured out, he is lavished on us for all of every day in whatever we do. The Holy Spirit a pledge of our inheritance, a guarantee of what is to come. And what it means is that we can have assurance. We can have assurance because we know where we're going. We know that we will get there. And all these spiritual blessings, which are part of our inheritance, Paul is writing, saying that you can have them now. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing being chosen, being holy and blameless, being predestined, being adopted, being redeemed, being forgiven, being loved. And there's more to come. Oh, read through the rest of Ephesians. There's more. There's reconciliation. There's unity. There's peace. There's prayer. There's access to the Father. All sorts of things. The Holy Spirit is a taste of what is to come, but it's, he's also a reality of what we can experience now. Because he is a pledge, he is a deposit, a down payment of our inheritance. So you may think, wow, this is amazing to hear all this. And it is. But I think, just to close, there would be an oversight not to talk about the phrase, to the praise of his glory. Three times it's mentioned in this passage. So verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In verse 12, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to him the praise of his glory. So that's applied to Jews, remember, who are now incorporated into the church. And then in verse 14, talking about Gentiles who are now in all of us together, the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of of his glory. Three times, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. For six weeks, we've now heard about God's big plans. And these plans are big. I mean, they are huge. They're gigantic. They're they're cosmic, actually. 
Verse 10, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. That's the scale of it. I think is our British understatement sermon series title. They began in eternity past. They stretched to eternity future. They encompassed the whole of universal history in every tribe, tongue, land, nation, etc. And they speak of one person alone, God himself. Every part of these spiritual blessings screams out praise of the glory of God. And we must never reduce this passage to simply be, this is what God has done for me. We mustn't do that. Yes, his plans affect us. Yes, they change us in unimaginable ways. Yes, they give us so much, both now and in eternity. But that is a mere fraction of the story. You see, if I understand that I'm adopted, then it means that he is my father. So who gets the glory? He does. If I understand that I'm redeemed, it means that he paid the price. So who gets the glory? He does. If I live a holy and blameless life that points to him, then who gets the glory? He does. If I live in the good of his lavish grace towards me, which means that I'm quick to forgive, slow to judge, and point others to him, who gets the glory? He does. If it means that I live a life in the power of the Holy Spirit, totally assured of whom I am, and that controls everything that I do, then who gets the glory? He does. You see, God's big plans are that he gets the glory. The real result of the plans is just that we end up glorifying him. These big plans, they involve us, they catch us up, they dramatically transform us, but they're all about maximizing and elevating his glorious grace towards us. They are God's big plans Because they're all about God. And so I think there's only one response. We've got to worship, haven't we? John's Gospel tells us that we worship in spirit and in truth. Well, we've got the seal of the Holy Spirit in us as a down payment. Something that's coming for the rest of eternity is unending, glorying and praising of the one who fills all in all. And so we may as well start now. So why don't you stand? The band are going to reassemble. And they'll be just taking a few minutes to set up so I'd encourage you to draw in now to God's presence he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing the deal is done because we're sealed in him 
by the Holy Spirit. And so I'd encourage you now just to focus your attention upon him. And as you cast your minds back over what's been said this morning and in preceding weeks, maybe something that came out of the worship, just begin to thank him for the blessing that he is underlining to you at the moment. It may be that you've been struck afresh by the fact that he's sealed you, which means you're of value. It may be that you just cannot get away from the fact that he has adopted you. Maybe you've been stopped in your tracks by the fact that you have been forgiven and grace has been lavished on you. Whatever it is, just press into him now. Just start to speak out your praise to him. Go for it. These are great blessings. So give him some glory. Give him some praise. And then we're going to join in a song together to finish where we together share words of praise to his glory. Oh, Father, help us, we pray, as we come into your presence afresh. (laughs) These mighty, mighty blessings which you've lavished on us. Father, I pray that you would release praise and worship amongst us now as we bring glory to you. Thank you, Father.